Your Bibles with me to John chapter 3. The moment we're going to read verses 16 through 21. But we, it was last spring, we started the Gospel of John and looked at the idea of John is, is what it is, is it's putting Jesus on trial. Right? It's, it's a trial drama of bringing forth evidence, bringing forth witnesses. Who do you say that Jesus is? And as you go through the book, and as you're going to see this morning, it's not just Jesus is on trial. Those who are looking at him are on trial based on how you respond to who this person is. And so this morning we're going to look at this text and as you're going to see this morning, your response to Jesus, right, is the difference between being loved and standing under the, the just judgment of a, a holy God. It's all based on who you see Jesus to be. And so let's read our text this morning. I want to read uh, 16 to 21, and then it's restated again well in 35 and 36. So listen, listen this morning to God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And then in verse 35, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And this is the word of our God. He has spoken to us today in love. His word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I pray this morning that you would show us the bottomless depths of your love for your people as we meditate on this familiar passage. And so may we leave here rejoicing, knowing that you think of us as we see with eyes wide open the wonder of this gift you've given us in your Son. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and build faith in us, to grow faith in us as we look at Jesus lifted up on the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in, in college, I took an art history class, and it, it was a three-week trip, trip to Italy of basically being immersed in, in ancient, ancient art, going to cathedrals, going to art museums. And, and so we got to visit Florence's uh, famous Uffizi Gallery. Um, so if you don't know anything about art, it, in the art world, it's a big deal, and I had no idea when I was, you know, 21 and studying computer programming. But it describes itself as an, an encounter with great Western art and everlasting wonder. 
And in the, in the Uffizi, you'll find ancient sculptures, you'll find paintings from the Middle Ages, all the way up to modern times. And it's in a building itself that was constructed in the 1500s. It's just full of beauty. One of my favorite uh, artists in that time uh, that I learned through this class was a guy named Caravaggio because of the way he used light and darkness to highlight just the, the beauty of and, and make a scene come alive. And there were several there in this, this particular gallery. But So you can imagine right here is this place, the Uffizi. Um, people spend big bucks just to go see what the world has deemed to be a wonder. So you can imagine how shocking it would be for someone who goes through the whole Uffizi and then turns to the, the art curator who has guided them and says, Sir, I do not think much of your old pictures. To which the, the art curator responds, Sir, I would remind you that these pic pictures are no longer on trial, but those who look at them are. Right? That, that switch is what's happening here in the Gospel of John. Right? Here's this beautiful portrait of God's Son, his, the one who shows us and demonstrates God's immense love for the world, for you. And in the middle of this conversation that Jesus has been having with Nicodemus, right, where Nicodemus is being reminded that, hey, you may have come putting me on trial, but now you are. Right? How you respond to me determines your present and your future. Right? Those who look at Jesus are in the hot seat. Even as we are right to say, Jesus, who are you? And so the question this morning is, as you see God's love, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond in faith as John calls us to do? Or are you going to be offended by a God who gets angry and willfully choose to stay under his anger, his justice? Right? And so what we need to do this morning is... Um, Meditate on God's love and anger in the way that Jesus lays them out and explains them. Because we have right side by side with the most famous verse in the New Testament, or one of them, of just trumpeting God's love for the world right alongside with the fact that God does condemn those who reject his son. And so let's start by asking this question, is God angry or loving? Right? It's one of the big questions in the scriptures, starting in page 2 in Genesis 3. Right? Or you hear it in God's description of himself in the Old Testament. He's, he's abounding in steadfast love, but he will by no means clear the guilty in Exodus 34. Same paragraph, side by side. And so what John is doing is he's, he's putting these two attributes of God uh, next to each other, and saying God loves the world, but, but he's also just, and he will condemn those who reject his love. And so what's interesting is, so often one of the reasons I hear people don't want to come to church is because they do not want condemnation. They don't want to be judged. And what Jesus is saying is, if you reject my love, you're choosing to be judged. Right? 
Verse 36 restates John 3.16, that if you do not believe in Jesus, the Son of God, the wrath of God remains on them. It's really stark. And so, as modern people, we tend, right, if we were going to set up and curate our own art gallery of, of what God is like, we've, we would tend to have a lot more portraits of God's love. And people tend to just say, I have a preference, like art. You know, I, I prefer the loving God. I don't like the angry God. And so we, all kinds of people, maybe you, say to the Bible curator, I do not think much of an angry God. And yet, here is Jesus, the one who embodies love, and says, God's wrath is real. That's why I'm here, to save you. And so, let's hold these two things together. How does Jesus do that? In verse 17, we see, right, God so loved the world. And then in verse 17, we see, he did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in an order that the world might be saved through him. The first thing we see, if you're going to start holding up God's love and God's justice in a way that is biblical and true, see that God's love is primary in the gospel. Right? In other words, uh, it is imbalanced. God is weighted towards, his desire is towards, he wants to, to pour out his love on the world. Right? So one commentator says, judgment is not Jesus' primary purpose, nor is it by implication God's pleasure. Right? That God's love, or God's desire in this text makes really clear. He, he loves the world he gave his son so that the world might be saved through him. God's justice magnifies his love. We'll talk about that. But if you're going to say, is God just and loving, you would say, yes. What does God want you to know primarily? His love, as you understand his love through the lens of his justice. And so if you're going, how do I hold these things together? Welcome to being a Christian. <laughs> because Christians have always tried to piece these things together and hold together two seemingly paradoxical portraits of the guide of the Bible. Right. You know, if you studied English literature, Jonathan Edwards' most famous sermon, at least in American high schools, has been sinners in the hands of an angry God. Completely ignoring the 10,000 other sermons that he preached proclaiming the love of God. Um, right? But one way Christians have tried to figure this out, there, there, there's an ancient heresy called Marcionism where they would go, I do not much like that portrait of an angry God. And Marcion lived in the, the early 100s, about 100 years after Jesus was uh, resurrected. And he said, I just reject that God would be that angry, that the God the Father would be just like that. And so he drew a clear line between God's love and God's anger. And so what he did is he just rewrote his Bible, so to speak throughout the Old Testament, any parts of the Bible that talked about God being angry. It's still alive in the church today, is it not? You know, if, if, you, if you're part of a church that says, okay, I believe the Bible's true and, and, and every nook and cranny matters and it is important, you'll still find people say things like this that I heard on a well-known podcast talking about the Bible. Where I go, when I get to 
Bible verses like the Psalms that talk about God's justice, they just make me uncomfortable and I don't know what to do with them, so I just skip them. That's Marcionism still present in the church, trying to wrestle with the balance of God being loving and God being just. Uh, other Christians will uh, shorten John 3.16 and will we'll turn it into, for God so loved people like us, <laughs> and not expand it to the world, as John is explaining here, right? where certain groups of people tend to be branded as not worthy of this, the same love we've received. Yeah. They lead with judgment and justice, not God's love. Often it happens during tragedies, right? You've heard the the horrific things that were said after 9-11, right? This is, this is God's judgment on an immoral, depraved country, um, right? They, others will just say, though, oh, I, I heard a testimony like this, right? People were talking about the Muslims. And thinking in terms of politics, they said I would rather, they'd rather see our country drop bombs on these people than to raise up missionaries to go live among them and love them. And this isn't a church, right? They get the balance of God's love and God's justice backwards. For others have told the story of John 3.16 like this, is that God the Father is angry and judgmental, but thank God for Jesus who convinces the Father to love us, right? He, his sacrifice is what makes God love us. He appeased this wrathful deity, so look more closely at John 3.16. What does it say? God the Father gave. It was his plan. He gave his son because of his love for the world. Right? It was God the Father's plan to send his son because of his love for a rebellious, dark world that has been running away from him. And then later we're going to see in John that Jesus, the Son, out of uh, trust in his Father, says, out of love for this world, I will do what you say, Father, and I will die for them. I will die for those who deserve condemnation. And so this morning, the question is, right, do you believe that God loves you? You're part of the world. I know I sound Arminian right now, so all those Reformed people need to calm down. This is right here. <laughs> right? Now, what, what John is doing and, and just in awe of is that God's covenant love that we read of in Deuteronomy 7 this morning that was for God's chosen people, Israel, for the one nation, the family of Abraham, it's now expanded for Jew and Gentile. Because right? Deuteronomy 7 says God loves his Stubborn, rebellious, skeptical, murderous, and adulterous people, if you know the first five books of the Bible. <laughs> That's Israel. And you go, why in the world would he love people that deserve his justice? And Deuteronomy 7 says, because I love them. It's unconditional. And John 3.16 says, let's look at the world. Their hearts are darkened like Israel's hearts have been darkened. And that love is now extended, that gift is now offered to everyone. It's not just for us. 
Right? It's not just for one tribe. It's not just the, the group of people you like or prefer. It's for the world, for Jew and Gentile. This gracious, loving gift has been proclaimed from Judea, Sumeria, right, to the ends of the earth. So, do you believe God is loving? Even in the presence of his very real justice. Because we're, we're on holy ground this morning. Because where do you think the idea that God, that there is a God who is love came from? It, it's, it's ironic because in our culture we reject the, a God who's just. And in the history of the world, the world has had no problem believing that, God, that there, if there is a God, he must be angry. Because look at how much we're suffering. Right? To believe that, that, that there is a God, that he's a perfect father, that he loves you with this intense fatherly intimacy, or to, to switch to the married metaphor, that this God loves the world with a, a passionate, jealous, fiery, married love, who desires to draw near to humans and have humans to draw near to him. Right? Just go read Song of Songs. Right? That's a biblical idea. We didn't make that up. This is God saying, this is what I'm like. Every other religion will tell you, you know, God is just. You better shape up. You better use your good deeds to make that God happy. Because if you don't, karma. What you put in, that's what you get. And here in John 3.16 is, you put in darkness, God gives you forgiveness. He gives you his son. He gives you light. That's only the God of the Bible that, who says to humans in this runaway world, who says, I know what you do in the darkness, <laughs> and I love you. Come to Jesus. Step into the light and be embraced by my love. Right? And so the, if you're going to sum up John 3, 16 through 21, it's Jesus looking at Nicodemus who came to him and said, ah, oh, you must be a good teacher. You're clearly from God. God sent you to teach us. And Jesus turns around and says, hey, you can choose to receive God's love or receive God's condemnation through me. What do you want to do? The law was given through Moses. That was a gift. But in Jesus, we're given the eternal love of God in his Son. So, what is your portrait of God like? Does it have the same imbalance as John 3.16? Leaning towards and weighted towards God's love. Right? It's, it's the same pattern as Exodus 34. Right? Exodus 34, the God merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. He, anything you have done, he will forgive. And in the same sentence, he says, but by will no means clear the guilty and visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And one of the things you're supposed to do with that passage is say is look at how, how much God's love extends to thousands of generations versus his justice for three or four. Right? If you were to right, do some math, what is, what is God's desire for his people to do? To, to receive his steadfast love. 
Right, that's what John Owen, the English theologian, says, that when God declared his name to the fullest so we could know what God is like, he does so by specifying attributes to convince us of his compassion and his patience. It's not till the end of Exodus 34 do we have any mention of God's severity. And that only falls on those who despise his compassion. See how this works? God says, I love you, come. You reject my love, you receive the justice. But Exodus 34 is the same pattern as John 3.16. God's love is persuading us, don't reject the gift. Because the moment you put your trust in Jesus and choose to receive this gift, what are we given? According to John 3.17 and 18, Right, you're given a condemnation-free life. Right? right now, if you believe, there is no condemnation for those who trust Christ. That's amazing. Right? So, question, why would anyone reject his love? That's, that's where it goes to. Right? Why would you walk through that, the, the museum of John 3.16 and say, I don't think much of God's love? and reject the gift. And, and so you, you keep reading in John, and, and it says, here's why people are scared to come into the presence of a holy God. Um, it says, you're, as the darkness, you're stepping into the light, that your first reaction to God's presence is a bl- you're blinded by, by his presence. Right? In other words, to... The invitation to come and believe the good news that God loves you, He has forgiven everything, and you are right now not condemned. You first have to come into the light and be exposed. All right? It's verse 21. Right, verse 20 the light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Right. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest their works be exposed. Right. This is uncomfortable. If you are to walk into the presence of God and say, I want your love, you first have to realize that he is saying, let me show you who you are. Let me shine a light on the darkness of your heart your words, and your deeds. This is, this is what you're asking people to do when you say, come to faith in Jesus. Come and, and be known. Come and confess your sin. Right? Come and hear God say that his verdict of you is that you are not good. And that if you had a choice by nature, you'd prefer to stay in the dark doing whatever you want than to have a God who loves you tell you what to do and tell you you're wrong. And so, do you know how uncomfortable it is to be exposed, (laughs) to be really seen? I mean, it's one of the most common nightmares, actually, right? You got a public speaking uh, opportunity, and you have that horrible dream where you stand up in front of everyone, and oh no, the emperor has no clothes, (laughs) right? Because we hate hate being seen. People would rather like fall off a cliff than do public speaking because that is one of the most traumatizing uh, events. 
because you're seen. Whenever you step into the public speaking, you're, you're putting yourself on trial. Right? And so how much more haunting would it be to, to step out, to move towards God as he's inviting us to do, and have your selfishness exposed? To see the things um, that you know about that you wish no one else did. I mean, that's what it means to be a Christian, according to John. It is the one who believes comes into the light. You stand exposed under the gaze of a holy, perfect God. And so go step in the light and agree with his verdict that my works were evil and sometimes still are. Where you go, yeah, that's me. Right? See, it's interesting because what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is you can't, you can't see, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Right? We talked about that back in May, I think that was, or June. But the implication then in light of this part of the text, part of what Jesus is saying is you will not really know yourself unless you step into the light and have God show you what you're really like. Because it's, it's a bit like this. Um, it's like the small town basketball star, right? You've got the, the most points scored in your four years of high school, and you go off to college, off to university in a big city, and, and you're hoping to be a walk-on because, you, you know, everywhere you walk in town, everybody worships the ground you walk on because you're amazing. You've brought sectional titles to your town. And then you realize when you get to this big city, to a bigger school, that everybody on the bench is better than you. <laughs> right? you, didn't, you, you didn't see yourself as you were until you were exposed to something greater, something brighter. And that's, that's part of what happens when you become a Christian is, I don't know myself until I start to compare myself to the living God, who is light, and me as part of this dark world. I didn't know I was unloving until I saw a patient and holy God who's patient with me and slow to anger. And so that's, that's the barrier that's the, that's between receiving God's love or receiving his justice is confession. It's part of our practice every week, step into the light. Be honest about the last week. How did it go? And if we're going to be honest, we had moments of faith and moments of unbelief. And so we're going to step into the light and say, Lord, you love me, and you knew this was in there. Right? Now the question is, do you gonna, would you rather come and be exposed by a God who loves you and is for you, and this is a safe place because he doesn't condemn you, he says, you're mine, I accept you, or... Will you just stay in the dark? Continue to live life doing whatever you want to do. You know, J.I. Packer, uh, Christian writer, says there's an old uh, comedy short where an escaped lion takes the place of, of the comic's dog sitting next to him in the armchair, and right, the, the comedian's just like scratching the head of the lion for several minutes before he f finally figures out that it's not his dog anymore before realizing, as, as we say, uh, I, he's got a problem. <laughs> and Packer goes on to say that um, we act like that 
with, with the dark habits we have in our life. We treat them as friends rather than killers, unaware and never suspect how indwelling selfishness, when you give in, tends to kill and deaden us. And this, one fears, he says, is because we're already its victims, never having known what it's really like, what it's really like to be alive in relationship with God. <laughs> in other words, here's what Jesus does. He shines a light on the lion that you've been embracing. You think it's your friend, and Jesus says, hey, have you actually seen this thing? It's your enemy. Sin crouches at the door. It seeks to rule over you. Are you actually in control? <laughs> so, you know, we, we started by saying, Jesus, who are you? Jesus has flipped the script and says, you know, it's not me on trial, it's you. And while you're in the defendant's chair, Jesus is showing you yourself. What's so beautiful about this is he says, let me show you how much God loves you and how much he loves the world. The judge takes your spot, chooses to be condemned as your place, in your place as we sang this morning, so that you would not perish, but have everlasting life, be brought into this love that never ends. So that's, that's the choice, that's the confrontation, that's the, the command this morning. It's, it's faith in Jesus to receive his love. To, you know, in him you, you see and experience the love of God. Or choose your own way. And as John th verse 36 says, the wrath of God, the justice of God, for all those things we've done to, to harm God and offend our maker, that stays on you. John's really blunt, right? The ball's in your court. Right. So, how are we loved? Why would you come? Well, first, look at this. In Jesus, you're shown how, how loving God is. That word so is a Greek word. It can either mean, like, look at how much God loves or it, can, or it can mean uh, this is the way God loves. This is how he demonstrates his love. And knowing the way John writes, he probably wants you to think of both. <laughs> right? See that God is love and how much he loves. Because in the background of John 3.16 is, is the famous story of Isaac and Abraham. When, when God says to Abraham, right, show me the depths of your love, functionally, Right? I want you to give up your son, the son you just received from me, Isaac, the son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him up as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham says, okay, I will. And so he and Isaac climb Mount Moriah and offer him up to God on top of this mountain. And Abraham goes because he, he's exposed. He knows that he deserves justice. Right. I mean, he, he remembers what he did to Hagar, how he and Sarah conspired together to oppress this Egyptian slave and impregnate her and to, to give him a son. Rather than trusting God's promises. And that's the background of God giving his son. Because in Abraham's story, right? Remember, it's the famous story. This is Caravaggio painted it, right? It's 
Abraham's ready to obey, and an angel comes and stops Abraham and says, Abraham, stop. And in the thicket is a ram, and all of a sudden there's a substitute taking the place of the beloved son. But not here in John, not here in the gospel. Here you have God the Father giving up his son, his only son, his son whom he loves. And the knife came down on the cross. Justice fell on Christ so that we would not be condemned. And we know that's true because it says in 35, the father who loves the son pours all things out into his hand. The father loves the son and yet he gives him up so that you and I would see just how much we're loved. John Calvin writes that the true looking of faith, this is how you believe and receive the gift, the true looking of faith is putting Christ before your eyes and seeing in Christ the pouring out of God's love on you. You see in Jesus the heart of God just poured out in love. You know, this, the second thing you see here and how God loves, it's really odd. Everything in John 3, 16 and, and following is in present tense, right? You're not condemned already. You have eternal life now. John, uh, Jesus will later pray in the Gospel of John, you are loved right now. And ordinarily, right, if you're a Bible reader and if you're a good Uh, Old Testament Jew, you would understand, right, judgment is not something that happens now. It's supposed to happen at the end of all things when God writes all that is wrong in the world. You read the prophets, the prophets say, hey, y'all haven't been good. God is coming. Repent. And so like in Zephaniah, for example, there's a haunting picture where it says the Lord's going to walk through Jerusalem with a lamp. It's like a giant flashlight, right? To hunt down that any, even those who believe that God said that God isn't going to do anything about evil. Now, Zephaniah chapter 1, it says, he's hunting those with a flashlight, those who say God isn't going to do anything good or bad. Completely skeptical of judgment. And then later in chapter 3, on the same day when God comes in the future, God's going to cover the shame of his people that his people will not be put to shame because of the deeds they did rebelling against him. Same day. Love and judgment, all future. And yet here is Jesus saying that day is now. This is is what Bible nerds call realized eschatology. The end times started in Christ. That right now, based on your response to Jesus, you can already go through the end times judgment. You can already enjoy God's love and his presence as if you've come through that verdict. And that, that's the application for us this morning. That if you believe the gospel, we're given a gift of being able to live your life as if you're no longer on trial because Jesus was condemned in your place, because God the Father loves you and gave himself up for you. And I know we tend to think, okay, this is where history is going in the Christian story of the world, that 
Yeah. Here's the last judgment. He's going to hold me accountable for every last thought, word, and deed that was dark. Jesus rewrites that and says, you know, condemnation is determined by me and your response to me. Those things matter, and those things will be held accountable. But if you come to me, condemnation free. You reject me, you're on the hook for your own darkness. But right now, you, you can live as if you're not on trial. And this is what I know I need. <laughs> this is what a world needs. I mean, just look back at the last week. And how many times did you feel like you were on trial and somebody was screaming, you're guilty. You're the worst. You're not good enough. Right? I mean, even modern, just the way identity works, you know, where, where our, our unbelieving friends are saying, I want you to accept me this way. And even as they say those things, anxiety goes up and depression's going up. You know, they, they feel like they're always on trial wanting someone to accept them as they are. Along comes Jesus and says, in the only trial that matters, trust me, you are not condemned already. I mean, Paul applied it that way. It's like in, in 2 Corinthians, right? I'm, I'm no longer on trial. It's not, you, you don't judge me. It's the Lord who judges me. People love that line. But he also follows that line with, you know, I'm not innocent. In other words, part of what I think Paul's doing is meditating on this, this passage, and he's saying, you know, if, if, if I am not condemned in God's eyes, then why am I so afraid of what everyone else thinks? I don't have to be. And because he's the Apostle Paul, and he's really blunt, he says, I don't care what you think. <laughs> I don't care what I think, which is a very radical thing to do. I only care what God thinks, and in Christ, I'm not guilty. So, do you live like that? Now, I'll end this way. Here's what it means to be a Christian, is to, to, to trust Christ, that this gospel story is true, that for God so loved the world, whoever, whoever believes in him, the offer goes out to everyone. You will not be condemned, but you'll have eternal life. And in a, this, this past week, I, I listened to a, a talk by... Um, by David Skeel, a law, law professor, right? You know David, he's worshipped here. Um, it was a talk on commenting on the, the, the Roe Ro v. Wade and Dobbs ruling. If you're interested, I'll send it to you. It was really good. Um, but one of the things he quoted was a different law scholar who said this, that, that great judicial opinions, they're like poems, they're like art. And what makes the most compelling art and poems, especially... Uh, they explore two contradicting themes or more, giving justice to both sides, exploring the tension between them. And so if you start to realize what the gospel is, this, this not just a judicial opinion, a judicial reality, what makes John 3.16 so compelling and beautiful is the way Jesus is bringing together God's love and God's justice that's what the Old Testament is. It's one big, long exploration between God's justice. Will he judge his people? Or will he be able to love them 
despite their sin, without overlooking their sin, and without ignoring their sin. And so John 3.16 comes and says, I'll quote to him, when through faith in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. You'll know you're loved. Come and, come and believe. Let's pray. Now, Father, we've heard of this great gift, and I pray for those who, um, who are skeptical, uh, that you would give us eyes to see Christ crucified, eyes to see Christ uh, buried and risen again and seated at your right hand, and that if we trust him, we can be loved, having our life hidden in him, treated as if we are perfect, even though we are not. So I pray you would help us believe that this week. Help us to be faithful witnesses uh, that, that our testimony be weighted towards your love for a dying, dark world uh, that people might see Christ in us. So help us uh, set our, our seal on Jesus' testimony uh, that his words are true, that in Jesus, Lord, we see you telling us the truth and we would trust him and know your love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, A Love Will Not Let Us Go.